Our scripture reading today is from Revelation 1, 9 through 11, and this is found on page 1028 in your pew Bible. I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, and I heard him behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kristen. Good morning uh, to all of you. So glad that you're here with us this morning. My name is Bill Gorman. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Community. And just so grateful that you're here with us this morning. We're beginning a brand new series in the book of Revelation. We just wrapped up Genesis last week and are now uh, fast forwarding all the way to the end uh, of the Bible to uh, the book of Revelation. And we're going to be spending time on these first sort of three chapters of the book uh, looking at the letters that Jesus addresses to seven churches in Revelation. So we'll spend a week on each one of those letters and then we kind of have an intro uh, week from Revelation chapter 1 here this morning. So uh, glad that you're here this morning uh, as we begin this brand new series today. Well, let me pray for us as we begin and we'll dive in and look at the passage we heard read this morning. So Father in heaven, thank you that you are here with us, that you have spoken, and I pray that you would reveal, that you would unveil uh, your plan for, for your church, for our church, for our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, several years ago, someone showed up here at church at the Brookside campus who I was not expecting and who I did not recognize. Uh, he and his wife uh, had come at the end of the second service and they were wandering around sort of looking at the building. And as people began to, to filter out, I, I saw uh, the husband kind of standing by himself. He was kind of right over here by this column. And I thought, well, I'll go introduce myself. I don't, I don't know him. And so I, I walked up and began to introduce myself. And he started explaining that, oh, yeah, they don't actually live here in, in Kansas City, but his daughter is getting, getting married here at the church, and uh, his wife had seen the building, but he hadn't, and they were in town this weekend, and so they were just going to come and, and take a look and take a peek at the end of, uh, end of church. I said, oh, that's great, and uh, we talking, and I said, well, where do, you, where do you live? And he said, oh, we live over in, in, in Lawrence. I was like, oh, that's great. Not, that's not too far. And I asked, uh, what do you do? He's like, well, I'm in, I'm in uh, athletics. I, I coach basketball. And, oh, that's great. I said, well, so I know you have a daughter who's getting married here. I said, do you uh, have any other, any other children? He's like, well, I have a son also. Oh, good. Tell me, yeah, so what's he up to? And he's like, well, actually, he's, he's in college, and, and he, he plays for the, the team that I, that I coach. I was like, oh, good, great. And at just that moment, one of our high school students here at church came running up, interrupted me, said, coach, coach self, can I get a picture with you? <laughs> sure, KU basketball coach, Bill Self replied. And uh, I'll have to let you in on a secret at this point. If it wasn't obvious already, I'm not a big college basketball fan, clearly, because I, I, I missed talking to probably one of the most recognizable uh, figures in college sports, totally oblivious, just treating him like any old father of the bride who happened to stop by at church. Um, it was probably re refreshing for him, but I uh, uh, did not give him any special treatment uh, or ask him uh, any questions germane to his work. Um, I was not expecting Bill Self that day. Uh, neither was anyone else. Uh, we were not expecting him to show up and be here with us. 
And, and again, you know, that's understandable. Uh, you know, we wouldn't expect him on an average Sunday. But church, I, I wonder if there's someone else, uh, someone else who we aren't expecting at church, uh, someone else that we wouldn't actually expect to show up and be with us, to be with us on Sundays. You know, I, I think we, we come to church and we expect, right, we expect to see our pastors, uh, we expect to see uh, our friends, maybe those that we're in a community group with or that we serve on a, on a team um, with here at church. But do we show up here each week expecting Jesus? Do, do we expect him to be here with us? Or would we be just as surprised as I was when I found out that Bill Self was here and that I was talking to him? Do we expect Jesus to show up? Because that's really what's happening here in the book of Revelation, uh, where we're beginning this morning. Like I already mentioned, we're in this new series, and we're calling it Church for the End of the World, which is a, a pretty provocative title. But it really is a study, especially in these first three chapters, of what does Jesus think of the local church and how does he instruct these local churches to be faithful as they wait for him to return. Now the specific kind of literature that uh, the book of Revelation is, it's called apocalyptic literature. And the Bible has lots of different genres of literature. You, know, you go to your library, your bookstore, you've got fiction and nonfiction and poetry and and the Bible is similar. It has a collection of, of books, and it's made up of different types. You have po poems in the book of Psalms. You have narrative in the book of Genesis, where we just were. And here in the book of Revelation is a type of literature called apocalyptic literature. Now, when we hear the word apocalypse or apocalyptic, we tend to think end of the world, sort of doomsday kind of moment. And, and that's in part, I mean, that our language of that is influenced by a lot of the events that we see happening in Revelation. But the word apocalypse, it's just a sort of a, a transliteration of a, of, a, of a Greek word, just means to reveal, to uncover what is hidden. It doesn't necessarily have to be some kind of cataclysmic, disastrous thing. It just means to make known. And so in that sense, there is an apocalyptic moment in every episode of, of Fixer Upper. Anybody watch Fixer Upper? Uh, in every, in every episode, there's an apocalyptic moment. It's when Joanna says, are you ready to see your fixer-upper, right? And they pull back that screen to reveal what's really real, what this house has become. And that's what the book of Revelation is doing. It's pulling back the screen. It's pulling back the curtain for us to see what's taking place in heaven, what is taking place in the churches, and hopefully in this series, it's going to reveal in our lives what's going on in, in our life and in our church. That's what it means to, to be a revelation, to be an apocalypse, to make known, to, to peel back the curtain. Now, this book talks a lot about Jesus. It talks a lot about his return, the, the defeat of evil, the defeat of, of Satan. Uh, and at times, because of that, and, and apocalyptic literature is full of a lot of symbols and imagery, uh, it can be a tough book to understand. Um, it's one of those books where having a really good, uh, some good tools along the way or to help you read are really important because there's lots of ways to interpret it. But what we often miss, though, is that this book, it starts off in the very concrete reality, very simply, uh, in this form that so many of our other books of the Bible start with. It's just like this. We heard it in verse 9. 
I, John, and this is John the Apostle who was with Jesus, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on an island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's saying, I'm, I'm in prison for following Jesus. I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. And then John turns and he, he sees Jesus, the Son of Man, on the Lord's Day, Sunday. And, and the whole book starts with Jesus showing up on a Sunday to, with John in his prison cell. And from that moment, everything begins to change. But, but not because John now somehow has this secret code that's going to tell him how the world is going to end or when it's going to happen. Or that he now has this, this secret knowledge that he can make sense of all the contemporary news events. No, the, the book, it, yes, it addresses the future, but what it focuses on in these early chapters is the person of Jesus and what the church is to be. These seven letters are Jesus' words to these seven local churches. Not unlike we have Paul writing letters to churches in the New Testament. Those are our letter to the Philippians and Colossians and Ephesians, Jesus is writing letters to these churches. And Jesus addresses seven actual local churches. Verse 11, write what you see to a, in a book and send it to seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Those are real places. You can, in many cases, visit the ruins of those cities in modern-day Turkey today where men and women and children seeking to follow Jesus, looks like we are doing today, lived and worshipped. And Jesus shows up and reminds them and reminds us what it is to be a church that endures to the end, that is faithful, a church for the end of the world. And that's what we're going to look at in these coming weeks and take time on each one of those letters. But this week, we want to sort of look at this one address in Revelation chapter 1 that is addressed to all to all of these churches before we look at the letters that go to each of the individual churches. And as we do that, we want to ask, what, what is a church, what is the kind of church that Jesus would say at the end, well done, good and faithful servant, you endured and you were lived as we called you, as I called you to live. And so we want to see sort of three things here this morning. The first is that a church for the end of the world expects Jesus to speak. Church for the end of the world, a church that is going to, to please Jesus, that is going to follow after him, that's going to endure, that kind of church actually expects Jesus to speak. And you see this in, in verses 1 through 3. And if you uh, haven't uh, opened up your Bible to Revelation chapter 1 yet, I'd encourage you to do that. There's Bibles that are in the, the pews there. You can just pull one of those out. Um, also, uh, there's a great app you can get on your phone called um, the it's Version, or if you just look in your app store for the Bible, it's probably the first one that's going to pop up. Um, the audio Bible is on there, great place to listen. Um, and actually, in the Version app, you can even find sort of Christ community in the Brookside campus, and each week the sermon notes and kind of outlines and links and those kind of things are, are there. And I'm going to read these verses in just a second, but in, when I do, I want you to notice in particular in verse 3. In verse 3, there are three key words which really guide the whole book of Revelation and how we're going to read it and how we should approach it. 
And those three words are reads, hears, and keeps. Reads, hears, and keeps. And keeps meaning the idea of, of put into practice or to obey or to, to do. And notice that the whole book also is the very words of Jesus. The, the book opens this way, the revelation of Jesus Christ. But you, you probably even a more precise translation of is kind of ambiguous. A more precise translation would probably be the revelation from Jesus Christ. This is, whole book is from Jesus, spoken by him. All right, take a look, verses one through three. The revelation of, or from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness, which is going to be a key theme through the whole book, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Even to all that he saw, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. If we want to get a hold of what Revelation is all about, we have to keep those three key concepts in mind of, of reading. We need to read this book. We need to listen to what it says. And then we actually need to do our best to put it into practice to obey, to keep, to, to do. Again, verse 3 is pivotal, especially when you get into the later part of the books that are harder to understand, that Jesus has actually given this to us to read, to hear, and to do. Paying attention and putting into practice. And at the time that this letter was being written, there were two main sorts of... of uh, kind of challenges that were being faced by these seven local churches, these real local churches. The first one was persecution. These churches were actively being persecuted in the Roman Empire for following Jesus. And at this point, again, it's hard for us even to imagine, but this is only a few years after Jesus has been raised from the dead. Um, this kind of what people thought was sort of a sect of Judaism, what is becomes known Christianity, these people following the way of Jesus. This is brand new. They're tiny, and they are a persecuted minority in the Roman Empire. So they're facing physical persecution, imprisonment. John himself is in prison here. They're maybe losing jobs, those kinds of things. That's one challenge. The other challenge is this. They are also facing enormous pressure to conform to the cultural norms and expectations of their place, their time, and their moment. To, to compromise, the idea is, well, if you, you can, Jesus is fine, you can talk about him as long as you worship the other sort of Roman pantheon of gods, or you can continue to be a part of these ceremonies and these guilds and these uh, kind of marketplace things so long as, as Jesus doesn't become too much of a part of it. So there's this enormous pressure to compromise and this incredible persecution. Now, for us here in Brookside in 2019, we are not facing anywhere near the kind of physical persecution that they were for their faith, though many of our brothers and sisters around the world today are right now in this very moment. But we also do face the same kind of enormous pressure to conform to the broader culture and to not let Jesus influence our lives too much. All of us face that pressure. 
the pressure to listen to a Jesus of our own making, a Jesus that looks and sounds just like us, who hates what we hate and who loves what we love. But friends, we need to be the other way around. We need to learn to love what Jesus loves, to reject what he rejects. We need to be shaped into his image, not shape him into ours. And if we're going to do that, we have to hear Jesus out. We need to listen to him. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear what it looks like to be a church that will faithfully endure to the end. And it's here in Revelation, but also you see it throughout the the entire uh, Bible, this pattern that Jesus has of, of revealing his will to us through the pages of Scripture. We're not waiting, right, for him to show us his design for life. He's done that in the Scriptures. He's told us. And and maybe you're here this morning and there are parts of this book, parts of Jesus' teaching that you really struggle with. And if that's you, first of all, let me know you're you're not alone. I think probably every one of us here, if we've ever read or taken seriously any part of the Bible, will probably come apart to a part of it that says, I don't know if that makes sense. I don't know if I, this is hard for me to understand or hard for me to believe, right? And the temptation, though, in those moments is to say something like this. Well, Jesus... Yeah, it's true, he, he said this or that, or yes, well, the, the Old Testament said this or that, but, you know, that was, that was a different time, it was a different culture, it's just for that moment, and, and if Jesus were here now, he would, he would say something different. And I understand that temptation. But at the end of the day, we don't get to pick and choose the words that we like from Jesus, and ones we don't. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who hear and sort of pick and choose my words, or just keep what they like, or just do the ones that aren't uncomfortable. Again, because if we do that, we end up with a Jesus who looks just like us, rather than the one who really is. And increasingly, though I have the sense oftentimes that it's not just that we, we've heard what Jesus has said and then we've rejected it because we don't like it. I think oftentimes we just, we're not in a place of actually putting ourselves in a position of, of hearing from Jesus in the first place. Because of the busyness of life, the fullness of life, we, we don't spend time actually reading the scriptures actually encountering him in the Bible. Uh, again, that's even why I mentioned the, the YouVersion app at the beginning. I love it because you can even just listen to the Bible when you're driving or uh, working out or those kinds of things. Great audio Bibles in that app. Are we actually making time to be in this book? And I know it, it, this is a, a difficult book to read at times. It has lots of different types of, of literature in it. Uh, it's an ancient book. And so there are moments when you're kind of going through this, and maybe if you've ever tried one of those read through the Bible in year programs, and you get to Leviticus or Deuteronomy or to Chronicles, and you're just like, I just can't, I just can't go on. This is either boring or confusing, or I'm just not getting anything out of this, right? Uh, and that's where, again, having some of the, the right tools are so key. 
Um, so if you want to read in particular the book of Revelation well, this is one of those places where you really need some good tools. One of the best is uh, the Bible Project. It's a phenomenal resource just generally. But they have two videos that overview the entire book of Revelation. If you just Google Bible Project Revelation, they'll, they'll come right up on, on YouTube or on their website. Incredibly helpful to understanding how the whole book fits together. Another great tool uh, is, is a good study Bible. Right? So um, a lot of parts of the Bible, you can read Psalm 23 and get a lot out of Psalm 23 with no study notes at all. Revelation is one of those books where you're probably going to need some study notes to help you read through it. And uh, the, the English uh, standard version is the version we have in the pews. It's a good version. There's an ESV study Bible. I also really love the newest version of the NIV study Bible. So there's a lot of great tools out there. And this is, you know, you're not going to probably put this in your purse or your, your briefcase every day. Um, but it's a great resource, even to have in print uh, as opposed to digitally, just to have at home to be able to read those great overviews and outlines and notes that will help you, maps, pictures that will help you um, really have the scriptures come alive in fresh ways. So if you don't have one of those, I'd encourage you to, to get one. And it's also, though, not enough that we just sort of read this individually, because the scriptures are always addressed ultimately to a community. Jesus is not just writing to particular individuals, he's writing to churches, like sending a letter to, to us collectively as a church. And part of the reason we gather here, a big part of the reason we gather here every week, and a big part of the reason we spend so much time in the service on reading and preaching and teaching the Scriptures is we want to hear from God together. We need to hear from the real Jesus together. And that actually then takes us to our second point this morning, is that we need to worship, we need to expect, we need to obey the real Jesus. A church for the end of the world expects the real Jesus. And again, John, who's recording these words, recording these visions, is John the apostle who was with Jesus for three years, traveling with him before his death. John watched Jesus die on a cross. John watched and saw as Jesus was risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. And now on the island of Patmos, he has this fresh encounter with Jesus. It's Sunday. It's the, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the day that Christians began to worship, right? The Jewish uh, people worshiped on Saturday, but now the resurrection of Jesus happened. Sunday is now the Lord's day, the day that he rose from the dead. And in his prison cell that Sunday morning, John hears a voice and he turns around and this is what he sees. Verse 12, and then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands was one like a son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest and the hairs of his head were white like white wool like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice was like the roar of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars and from his mouth came a two-edged sword and his face was shining like the sun in full strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Which I think is probably the right response in that moment. Now again, what, whatever you might feel when you first 
read or hear those verses read. I actually remember taking notes, and I was like, whoa, like, this actually kind of makes me un- uncomfortable. That's my initial emotional reaction to this. This is, this is, wow, this is bizarre. This is intense. Whatever your initial response to this P, though, it, it can't be this, right? It cannot be these, right? That the Jesus is, is just this kind of friend, that he's some kind of a, a plush character. The vision of Jesus that we get in Revelation chapter 1 is not the buddy Christ. It's not Jesus as my homeboy. It's not Jesus as, as cozy, stuffed animal. It is Jesus, the ruler and reigning king of the universe, It actually made me think of a recent issue of National Geographic magazine, which is one of my favorites. Uh, Rachel got it for me for Christmas this year, and I love it. It's a treat to read through. I almost read every every issue cover to cover. I love it. Uh, And a couple issues ago, they did a whole section on wildlife tourism and the abuse that animals often endure in these places, particularly in in other countries around the world. It was a heartbreaking and in some ways really disturbing article in places. One of the most haunting images from the story is that of a a bear that's been so sort of abused over the years and domesticated that it's held captive, right, for people to to take photos with, to pose for Instagram. And I think this is so often what we do with Jesus. We try to domesticate the powerful creator of the universe who has conquered death, who is going to remake the world, and, and make him into someone to be posed with for our purposes. We cannot do this to the ruling and reigning king. We cannot make him into someone that he's not. And this is not to say that Jesus isn't gracious with us and patient with us. He is like a good parent. He is so patient and so kind and so loving. And there are so many things that we do each and every day that dishonor him, that aren't according to his plan and his will. And if we're his follower, he he gently and patiently corrects us and helps us to grow and learn. But here's the thing, friends. We cannot mistake Jesus' kindness and patience for weakness. And if we're going to be a church that expects Jesus to show up, we need to see him for who he really is. For who he really is. In other words, we, we can't just have Jesus' kingdom and all the good things that, that we expect out of the world that we are, we're even hardwired to desire. Things like love and justice and peace and mercy and reconciliation and joy and forgiveness. All these things that are promised in Jesus' kingdom. We cannot have those without the king. Mark Sayers, who's a really thoughtful cultural commentator, points out that so often that's what we want. We want the kingdom, but we don't want the king. We want Jesus' things, but we don't actually want him. Revelation 1 won't let us have it that way. If you want the kingdom, you have to have the king. So if we're going to listen to Jesus, if we're going to be a part of his church to the very end, we have to serve him. That ultimately our lives are not our own. We are servants of the risen and reigning Jesus. Everything in our lives is meant to serve him and his kingdom rather than us and our kingdom. 
And let me just be honest with you, this is not an easy thing. This is not a, a one-time decision or choice. It is a daily surrender to say, I'm going to pursue His kingdom, His design, His agenda, not my own. And I was trying to think this week, what is a way that we can sort of, what's a, what's a practice, what's a habit that we can begin to form in our lives that will help us in this to remember what it is that we're, that we're really all about, that, that this is about Jesus and his kingdom, not about ours. And, and I think one practical pattern that we can weave into our lives in this is, is the pattern of, of regularly praying the Lord's Prayer. Now, depending on the tradition of faith that you grew up in or whether or not you grew up in the church, maybe praying the Lord's Prayer has just been a part of your, your life for as long as you can remember. For others of you, uh, you may have never made a practice of, of praying the Lord's Prayer. You can find it in Matthew chapter 6, or um, Luke has a version of it as well. But this is a prayer that Jesus gave when his disciples asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray. And then we get our, what we call the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to challenge us as a congregation to make a, a practice. Just let's try this together as a whole church for this week to begin and end our day with praying the Lord's Prayer. To start your, your day, your morning with praying the Lord's Prayer and then ending it with that. Can we do that together for these next seven days? To begin and end with the words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because in a way, that's what we're seeing in Revelation. The curtain is being pulled back. We're seeing what is going on in heaven and asking for Jesus' will, his patterns, his practices to become what they are in heaven on earth. What we're seeing in Revelation is this glimpse of heaven. Are we praying for that to come on earth? And even pray specifically. Sometimes I think that's a vague thing to pray uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, like kind of around the whole globe. But like make that specific, right? Pray, our Father in heaven, would your kingdom come in my life? Would your kingdom come, your will be done in my words, in my thoughts, in my home as it is in heaven? Would your kingdom come in my workplace, in my classroom, in my relationships, in my marriage, in, in my school, on my block as it is in heaven? Jesus, would your kingdom come, your will be done in Kansas City as it is in heaven. So can we build this pattern? Morning, your kingdom come, your will be done. Evening, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, there's one more thing, though, that we need to see together before we close this morning. And that's this. The church for the end of the world is not afraid a church for the end of the world does not fear. Because John has this vision of Jesus, and he falls on his face as though dead. Which again, if you ever see Jesus appear to you like that, falling on your face dead is probably the right response. But I love the tenderness of Jesus in this moment. This is what you get, this ruling and reigning, all-powerful king. But notice what happens next in verse 17. John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead but he laid his right hand on me, saying, fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last, the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. 
that command to be not afraid or to don't be afraid or to fear not is one of the most commands in all of the Bible because we live in a world, friends, where there's a lot to be afraid of, but we know the one who is ruling over all of it and who can say to us, do not fear. Christ community, hear the words of Jesus this morning. Fear not. Why? Because there's a lot to be afraid of. Why? Because Jesus is the first and the last. He is the risen one. He is the living one. He is alive forevermore. He holds the keys of death and Hades. And the idea of the keys means he has the authority, the power over all of them. They are under his rule and his authority. They can no longer just do what they want. Jesus holds the keys to those. It means he has authority over all of them. Jesus is the one who is. He is the one who was. He is the one who is to come. He is the faithful witness who will empower us to be faithful witnesses. He is the firstborn from the dead who will also raise us with him from the dead. He is the ruler over all of the kings of the earth. Kim Jong-un, Donald Trump, Boris Johnson, Xi Jinping, all of them, Khomeini. They're all under Jesus's rule. Don't be afraid of them. Jesus is over all of them. And not only that, when you look back to verse 5, it says this, to him who loves us. Not only is Jesus the all-powerful ruler over every one of the kings of the earth, he loves us, he loves you. And he is forgiven your sins by his blood, verse 5 says. You cannot allow your past to, to haunt you or hold over you any longer. Jesus has forgiven it. He's wiped it away by his blood. The enemy has nothing to accuse you of. Later on in the book of Revelation, in chapter 12, verse 10, it says that the evil one, Satan, actually the word Satan means accuser that he stands accusing every single one of you of all kinds of horrible things, seeking to condemn you to death. But Jesus has forgiven those things, and no charge that the enemy can put against you can ever stick or stand anymore. Jesus has conquered sin and death. And in him, we can find our freedom from sin and our victory over death. So fear not Christ's community. Jesus is alive and he is ruling and reigning now. Let's pray to our risen and reigning king. King Jesus, would you banish our fear? And this morning, would you replace it with faith and with hope and with love? that we might follow you and be faithful witnesses to the reality that is being revealed, unveiled, uncovered in this book. Would we hear? Would we read? Would we obey? In Jesus' name, amen.